If you have a Bible uh, or a smartphone, please turn or Google search for the book of Philippians. We started two weeks ago a series in, in the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And we are in, uh, we're in week three right now. And I'm calling this message this morning, Joy in the Advance of the Gospel. But this section that we're looking at could just as easily be called Joy in Suffering. Joy in Suffering. We're going to go from verses, uh, verses 12 right up to verse 20. And that way next week... Uh, we will be looking at the quite well-known verse, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, many people, if you're preaching through a little like Philippians, you'll skip these parts at the beginning. It's just jump along to the good stuff, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But there's good stuff here too. And uh, I think the Apostle Paul uh, shows us uh, how to have joy in suffering and and just really joy in Jesus Christ. We mentioned that the theme of this letter is is joy to have exceeding gladness within you, not based upon your circumstances. Paul is in prison here while he writes this letter, and yet he is a picture of a man who has exceedingly great joy despite circumstances that are very very difficult. So what we'll see here this morning, we're going to see Paul's circumstances, we're going to see the opposition that he is currently facing, and we're going to see his attitude for how he has joy amidst a very difficult time. We'll see a suffering man experiencing joy in Jesus Christ, and don't we want that? I think this is something so realistic about this book. So many of us think that the only time we can have joy and happiness is when things are going perfectly. This is a picture of a man who has joy when everything seems to be going wrong. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 uh, through to verse 20. I'm not reading from the New American Standard because this is New Zealand. Kidding. Um, sorry, no one laughed. Um, we're we're going to read from the English Standard Version. Celebrate Britain. Um, Sorry, uh, my wife's right when she says I'm not that funny. Um, let's come to God's Word. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through to 20. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, 
and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is the word of the Lord. Paul jumps right into his circumstances here as he talks to the church of Philippi. And this is unlike any letter that we see in uh, the New Testament. Paul never jumps in and starts talking about how he's going. It's a little bit of a weird thing to do. But basically, because these people care so much about him, and because they are what we saw last week, his gospel partners... And because this church had helped support the Apostle Paul as a missionary, uh, he needs to give an update. It would be an elephant in the room. This is probably all they're thinking about. Paul, you're in prison. How's it going? And you imagine to them that they're going to, you imagine in the situation they're going to be concerned. The biggest name in the church at that time was the Apostle Paul, and he's in jail. How's he doing? They've probably heard also that he's facing opposition, not only from the Roman Empire, but he's facing opposition from the so-called visible church as well. How's that going? How's he handling it? And so what we see here is that the main missionary that's been going around Europe, planting churches and spreading the gospel, has found himself locked up. So the Philippians are probably thinking... What does this mean for the sake of Christianity? What does this mean for the sake of our mission? Our captain, so to speak, playing captain, is, is in jail. How is it going to work out for us? Is this, this seems like really, really bad news. There's probably a concern here that the expansion of Christianity might be slowed down. So Paul deals with this elephant in the room and he says to them, Actually, no, my imprisonment and the opposition I'm facing, it's actually serving to help the gospel rather than hinder everything. It's actually amazing if you think about it. Putting me in jail, it's been good for us. Wow. Wow. So Paul explains that he's under arrest by the imperial guard. Most likely this is saying he's under arrest by the praetorian guard. These are an elite group of soldiers who are protecting the emperor, Nero. They look after his house. He's under arrest by the emperor's guards. He's not going anywhere. And he says, well, this is a good thing because, hey, all these, all these people that are looking after me, all these people that are keeping me in prison, they now know that I'm there because of Jesus Christ. And they know that he's there because of Jesus Christ. He's not there because he's a criminal. Paul's not in jail because he's murdered someone or he's stolen something. He's in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how on earth does this serve to advance the good news of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection on behalf of sinners? How on earth is that message advanced and helped? By being in prison. Three things. Paul says that he's got free access now to share the message with the guards. 
Because you think about it, they put you in jail. If you share with, about Jesus with the gods, what's the worst they can do to you? Beat you? He's like, I'm already in jail, bad enough. They're not allowed to kill him. So he's like, I've got a captive audience. It's great. I can preach. This is good news for a preacher, probably bad news for the, for the gods in their mind. But he's got a captive audience with him. So he's got free access to share the gospel. That's the first way that the gospel is being advanced. Secondly, it's become very obvious to everyone around Paul that Paul values being a believer in Jesus Christ more than his freedom. Paul is saying that he'd rather be in jail as a Christian than free outside of jail and yet have to deny Jesus Christ and keep his mouth shut about the gospel. Paul is a picture, a wonderful picture of the fact that Jesus is worthy of everything because he is the supreme Lord over all and he is the Savior, the only Savior. Paul could say, Okay, Caesar is Lord and go free. But he says, no, Jesus is Lord and I'm quite happy to stay in jail because of that truth. It is the picture of the worth of Jesus Christ. And everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Social media is going nuts. Guy rather stays in jail for Jesus than goes free. And thirdly, you see in verse 14 that other believers see his example and they are emboldened, they're encouraged, and they say, okay, Paul's in jail for the, for the gospel. I better step up and play my part too. Boldness is contagious. And that's a true thing. I have a friend who, I have two friends actually, that are just the most ferocious evangelists and they're not scared. And, and you try and go to a shopping mall with them to, to pick something up. You go into the plaza with them. You're leaving an hour later because they found three people to talk to. They're just not scared at all. I find being with them, that boldness is just contagious. Oh my gosh, what do I really have to be worried about? So, those three things. That's three ways in which the gospel is advancing. And the fact that the gospel is able to advance, even though Paul is in prison, tells us a few things about the Christian faith. A few things I want us to, to, to pull out of these verses that we can learn about Christianity. The first one is this. Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel, but you can't put the gospel in prison to stop its spread. So you can put a Christian in jail, but you can't put the gospel in jail. You can't lock it up. That's why most of the, the real successful attacks against Christianity have been in watering the gospel down or adding to the gospel, changing the message. You can't put a message in prison and keep it there. Paul says this very clearly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says to Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So, a real Jesus. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. 
This is in Second Timothy, Paul's in jail again at a later date, and this time he doesn't get out. He gets out this time while he's writing to the Philippians. When he's writing to Timothy, he doesn't get out. And his earnest hope is that the word of God is not bound. I might be in jail, but you can't bind the word of God. The gospel is a, a message. It is a message of Jesus Christ, and it is a declaration of Jesus' victory over sin, Satan, death, and hell. And it is therefore good news to be shared. The story of the expanse, uh, the explosion of Christianity around the world has come because of ordinary people like you and me carrying the supernatural message of Jesus' victory. It's true. That's how it advances. You can't lock a message up. It just goes forward and it continues to advance, declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's important for us to see, that the word cannot be bound. Secondly, it says, tells us something about the kingdom of God. You've grown up in the church, you understand this term, but the kingdom of God very simply is not built by human hands, but it is spread through the gospel. Wherever the gospel is believed, the kingdom has spread. Jesus is a king who rules over his kingdom, but it is a spiritual kingdom, which is here in part as we live under his reign as king. And that's very, very important for us to realize. It is a spiritual kingdom at this point, and it will not yet become physical until Christ returns. Therefore, Suffering and persecution help us to see why this idea of a spiritual kingdom was a really, really good idea by God. God has a lot of really, really good ideas. And this is a really, really good idea because this. The kingdom is received from heaven through the gospel message and the Holy Spirit working. It is not built by human hands. Therefore, we can do good works... We can pass laws which are somehow in accord with, more in accord with the Bible or not. We can do those things. We can do good works. We can pass sort of Christian laws, but they don't help spread the kingdom. Because the kingdom is not built by human hands. It is a spiritual kingdom. Here's why this is important. If Jesus' kingdom was built through our good works, through the, the making of laws, and through anything of that nature, then throwing Christians in jail, or turning us into martyrs, killing us, would be successful in stopping the growth of the kingdom. Does that make sense? If the kingdom was built with human hands, then you could literally stop the growth of the kingdom by chucking us all in jail. But it's not. It's not built with human hands. It is a spiritual kingdom and it is spread by the message of the gospel. And that is makes it immune to persecution. Thirdly, because of the nature of the gospel, no amount of suffering can crush the Christian or tear down this kingdom. 
No amount of suffering can truly crush the Christian. That is good news that I have been encouraging myself with all week. I'd like to submit that the death of the innocent Son of God upon the cross crushed under the weight of his own Father's wrath for sin, to set us free from our sin, was the greatest act of suffering ever experienced upon this earth. The cross of Christ is the greatest act of suffering ever experienced. And therefore that means that the good news of the gospel came through the incredible suffering of Jesus Christ. And as a result, because he not only died but also rose again, Christians in the church are uniquely equipped to handle suffering. Because of the very nature of the gospel. It is a message that comes to us because of suffering. Our Lord suffered, our Lord died, and he rose again and promised eternal life to those who trusted in him. Suffering is part of who we are. Suffering is what our Lord did. It does not need to scare us. It does not need to crush us. Think about it this way. So, If I sum this all up together... Every earthly kingdom, every earthly nation can be crushed and pulled down by suffering. That is why on social media I have, if Donald Trump becomes president, is the USA no more? Is this the beginning of the end? If Hillary Clinton becomes president, is our nation over as we know it? If Britain leaves the European Union, is it going to collapse? I'm not trying to be funny, it's just true. Like, eventually, empires fall down. They just do. Paul's in prison because of Nero and the Roman Empire. Where are those guys now? Enough opposition comes along, enough suffering comes along, and kingdoms and nations get torn down. The kingdom of God cannot be torn down by suffering because it was created by suffering. That is a huge truth to think on. I'm not just talking about persecution here. I'm talking about any sort of suffering. Babies dying, health problems, difficult job circumstances, any sort of suffering that you face. It can't ultimately crush you and tear you down because the Christian has hope. And that's why Paul says, next, which we'll see next week, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because suffering is part of the Christian experience and it doesn't crush us. You can't crush a people who have hope. You can't tear down a kingdom that's not made with human hands. And you can't chain up the good news of Jesus Christ. You just can't do it. And that is wonderful. And this is what Paul is trying to encourage this Philippian church with. So that's his circumstances. He's saying, I'm in jail, but it's good. I want to talk to you then, he says, about the opp- some of the opposition that I'm facing from so-called Christians. This is in verses 15 to 17 in the text. Paul's obviously a big name. He's the biggest name in the church at the time. So... His opposition, uh, his, his, his imprisonment has caused both opposition and support. 
You can just imagine that people are wearing shirts, Team Paul versus Team whoever the other big name is on the other side. There's opposition going on, and people all pick teams. Okay? Paul's a very polarizing, fearless gospel preacher. You either liked him or you didn't like him, and his imprisonment served only to stir that up even more. The two teams were those who were with Paul and then those who tried to harm him. Some were, on the good side, were emboldened by Paul. They realized that Paul was in prison because God put him there. It was the will of God that he was in jail. And he was there, he was there as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. So they just got on with talking about Jesus and they were emboldened and just got on with the job. So these people preached Christ sincerely and sought to further the mission. But on the other side, it says that there were rivals. We see that in uh, verse 17. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition. They were rivals. They were selfish. And it's not easy to say who these people were. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. Some people say that these are the same opponents that Paul writes about in Galatians. The Judaizers who said, you need Jesus plus circumcision plus the Jewish dietary laws, otherwise you're not a true Christian. They added to the gospel. I don't think that these people are Judaizers because Paul's not warning against their gospel. He's not doing that. He condemns these, his opponents, for their attitude. They're doing what they do out of rivalry and selfishness. Not because they're preaching something that is false. So what this means is that some are emboldened, some are very happy, and then a group have formed and they say, how can we hurt Paul? He literally says, these people are thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. The image is, while I'm in jail, I've got chains on. There are people that are trying to pull on my chains and make my suffering work. Some people have come out of the woodwork and they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somehow they're preaching the true gospel. And they're saying something like, come to our church, come to our ministry. We're better because uh, we're not in jail. Paul, that big name apostle, he's got a poverty version of Christianity. You don't want to be like him. It seems like they're empire-building at Paul's expense, thinking that if they preach the gospel and they get a big ministry and they themselves become famous, then everyone will look down upon Paul. That's what's happening. People are jerks, right? It's unfortunate. So, Paul's in jail and he's got a bunch of so-called Christians trying to kick him while he's down. What does he say? What's his attitude? In verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is so, it's just so mind-boggling when you think about it. I'm in jail. Great. The gospel's getting furthered. People are trying to stab me in the back. Is Jesus being 
Proclaimed, I'm happy. What we see here is a man who has joy in the midst of tremendous suffering, and the reason he has joy in the midst of tremendous suffering is because he has forgotten about himself. His great concern is not for his own name and his own reputation. His great concern is for Jesus Christ. Does this serve my Lord and Savior? Then I'm happy. Joy is found in self-forgetfulness. Many of you probably heard the Tim Keller quote where he says that self-forgetfulness is not necessarily thinking uh, less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? Paul's demonstrating an attitude where he's not thinking less of himself, he's not saying I'm completely worthless and horrible. But his concern is not for himself. He's thinking of himself less. And in that is found joy. Self-forgetfulness frees us because our concern is, how do I serve Jesus Christ? How can I serve others? It's not, oh my goodness, my circumstances are terrible, woe is me. Our eyes are turned away from ourselves to Christ and to the serving of other people. And in that, there is joy. And that's the example of Jesus Christ, if you think about it. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. It's true. Paul is clearly carrying out that example. So he says, yes, I rejoice, and I will rejoice. I will keep rejoicing. Because through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's confident of his deliverance. I want us to just take a little moment here by saying, what does Paul mean by deliverance? If you're looking in your Bible, have have a look at that, that verse there in verse 19. What does Paul mean by deliverance? Some say it means getting out of prison. He's saying, I'm confident that I'm going to get out of prison. And that's great. I don't think it means that. It doesn't make sense. He says, this will turn out for my deliverance. What does he mean by this? He's talking about his imprisonment and the opposition he's facing. It makes no sense to say, through my imprisonment and the opposition I'm facing, I will be delivered from my imprisonment and the opposition I'm facing. That's not what it means. It can't mean that. That's illogical. Paul's confident that he will be delivered. He doesn't know that he's going to get out of jail. He doesn't know. He's obviously speaking in a much bigger sense of deliverance. And this is important for all of us. This is why we can apply this directly to our own lives. Because I hope none of us are going to wind up in prison. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 17 to 18 He says this, The Lord will rescue me. Same sort of word, deliver me. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul never got out of prison in 2 Timothy. 
when he wrote that. He never got out. He was martyred. He was killed by Nero. The same guy that put him in jail when he wrote the letter to the Philippians killed him. And he's saying, I believe that the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's what he's thinking about. Delivered into the heavenly kingdom. He's thinking about the next life. He is finding encouragement in his present suffering by thinking about the fact that Jesus Christ is the king who will have an eternal heavenly kingdom. And there will be no more imprisonment. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more death. He is encouraging himself with that truth. How will God deliver him? This is so helpful for us to see. He says, through your prayers. Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul. Of all people, you look at him, he's the guy that's got it together and he's saying, I need you people to be praying for me. I need your help. I need your intercession on my behalf. I am not capable of doing this on my own. I need the church to be praying for me. That is encouraging to me. That probably the most mature Christian man walking the face of the earth knows that he needs other people to pray for him. And through those prayers that the Spirit of Christ will be working. I know some people say that, what's the point of prayer? I said, well, prayer has many, many uses. But when we pray for God to work to encourage other believers, to deal with them during their time of suffering. God listens and he acts. I don't know how it all works, but he does do it. Ask and you will receive. It's in there, it's in the Bible. I need your prayers and through your prayers the Spirit of Christ will work in my life. And it says the Spirit of Christ because the Holy Spirit's role is to point us to Jesus Christ. Through your prayers Paul is being pointed to the gospel and pointed to the fact that he has a Savior and knowing that this suffering is temporary. That is encouraging his heart and it is giving him hope. The gospel changes, I'm going to close with this, the gospel changes how we view suffering. Completely changes how we view suffering. If you don't have Christ, I don't know how you handle bad news. I just don't. Because it has the potential to crush you. It has the potential to drag you right down and you see no hope. But for the Christian, we know that suffering, because Jesus suffered, he understands. He knows what we're going through. He suffered more than we ever have. And because he rose again, we too will rise again when we die. This life is not all there is. There is deliverance in the next life. And that creates hope. Paul's got hope. He doesn't know if he's going to be in jail for the next 20 years, but he's got hope because he says, God will deliver me. He knows eventually it's going to end up good for him because of Jesus. I'm going to close by reading 
Romans chapter 5, verses 2 to 5. A wonderful chain of commands, a chain of uh, verses that all string together about this theme of suffering and hope. Totally worth meditating on, especially if you hate Monday mornings. Grab your Bible on your tea break and read this. Through Him, Jesus Christ, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Wow. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. Isn't that true? I think it's one of the most important things. Suffering does not need to crush us. It can give us hope instead because of Jesus. Let's pray.